Welcome to the Influence Podcast, Collision Edition. My name is Tom Yanni. And I'm Keith Wallace. All right, Keith, let's put yourself in the shoes of somebody that needs to drum up some money for business capital. Mm. Capital, baby, this is what we're looking for. Let's say that somebody told you you got to drum up $650 million in Whoa. a calendar year. What do you do? Well, I am watching Super Pumped and We Crashed at the moment, who have both raised crazy amounts of money. So I, I think it's, it's lots of meetings and chasing people down left, right and center. And, and probably no one better to hit up than our, our next guest, Michelle Romano, on today's episode. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how she did that, but we're going to find out. Because for me, the answer would be quit. I would go and do something else because it's not actually within my skill set whatsoever. But I hope after today's conversation, it's a different story. Maybe we'll get a couple tidbits of knowledge so we can all be uh, so successful in what we do. On today's episode, Tom, we're joined by Michelle Romano, co-founder and CEO of Clearco and one of our favorite dragons in the den. Michelle Trudy is in a league of her own. Clearco, which has become the world's largest e-commerce investor, is now valued at over $2 billion dollars. They just launched a European Scout program, which comes on the heels of an incredible round of funding last year of $650 million. Michelle joined us recently to discuss her approach to fundraising and the steady growth we're seeing in Canada's innovation ecosystem. This is a good one. Can't wait for you all to hear it. Let's dive in. So, Michelle, thanks, Emil, for taking the time today. Great to see you again. Oh, thank you for having me. Not at all. The last time we uh, we got to catch up was in Lisbon for a web summit. I remember yeah. at the time we were both talking about how exciting it'll be to have a, a large scale tech conference coming back to Canada to show everything that's happening over here. Absolutely. Before we start talking about Canada, I want to touch on Ireland and my hometown. I know you guys just had a big announcement there where you're investing 165 million into the, the digital and tech scene. Yeah. Can you talk to me about why Ireland and what you see the opportunities there? Oh, we think Ireland is an amazing tech hub. So when we were opening our European office, we looked at a few different uh, destinations kind of in in Europe and found an incredible head of sales in, in Ireland and have now have uh, over 75 people there that sell to all of Europe. And so it's been an amazing office. I got to personally visit with everyone um, about a week ago. We did a ton of press around our big investment into both Irish entrepreneurs and then our hiring that we're doing there. So we're very, very bullish around Ireland. I think there's um, there's lots of similarities actually between the Canadian and the Irish economy. We both kind of sit close to other big economies that are kind of similar in culture, but kind of not the same. And I actually think it kind of gives us that like underdog chip on our shoulder Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, we're going to do this. It also forces businesses very early to learn to be exporters. And so one of the, one of the challenges you actually have, and, and I'm the most familiar with the U.S., is that when you start in the U.S., it's easy to just stay in the U.S. because it's such a large market. Versus when you start in Canada or Ireland, it's like, okay, well, Canada, for example, is 2% of the global economy. Like, we have to export right away. And I think when you see founders generally from those countries, Israel would be another one of them, where people have to export immediately. They get bigger, or they can get bigger a lot faster. Uh, you just mentioned a couple parallels between what's happening in Ireland and what's happening in Canada, even sort of culturally and being neighbors with large economies. Is there anything that stands out in terms of the tech scene and the types of technologies that you're seeing developed there, or perhaps any like major differences that you think there's a, a very unique opportunity in Ireland or in Canada? Yeah, I think there's like within each sector, there's kind of different things that are growing. I mean, AI has done incredibly well in Canada. And so we continue to see lots of growth across industries in those sectors. You know, I think there's those pockets in Ireland as well, where there's like one sector that's done particularly well. But I think generally this idea that 
founders have to go outside of their country very early on is what has made both of these countries really, really strong. Michelle, I'm going to take us back for a minute. Um, yeah. You've obviously been a serial entrepreneur from the get-go. You've, you've had multiple businesses in different industries. You set up Clerco a number of years ago. When you set up Clerco, what was your vision or what was the opportunity you saw in Canada and, and globally at that stage? Yeah, so I you know, have a really unique journey as an entrepreneur, became an entrepreneur right out of school. Mm-hmm. I was crazy enough to go build a caviar fishery from scratch. Uh, so my first business was Boats Fishermen in My Hands and You Could Fish. From there, I built an e-commerce company, realized no one would fund me. We were bootstrapped for the first five years. Wow. After that, I built another app that was acquired by, by Groupon to move to Chicago and then get this phone call that's like, hey, do you want to join the, the cast of Dragon's Den? Oh, yes. um, and I was like, I think you have the wrong person. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we have the right person. So I end up getting this seat on the show. And you know what I figured out is all of these entrepreneurs at the early stage were giving up way too much of their company. So they'd come on the show saying, you know, look, I'm looking for $100,000 for 10% of my business. And you'd ask those founders what they needed the money for. And it was like, you know, I need customer acquisition and I need inventory. And I was like, why are founders using the most expensive capital in the world to do something with a fixed return? And so I remember Andrew, my co-founder and I put our heads together, came up with a new deal type. And the next day we said, on the show, I was literally like, I'll give you that hundred thousand dollars you're looking for. But instead of taking 10% of your business that'll own forever, I just want 10% of your revenue until you pay me back my capital plus 6%. And the founder's like, is this a loan? And I was like, not a loan, no personal guarantee, no fixed payment timeline. I, you know, I will not bankrupt your business if you do not pay me back. And the founder that day was like, yes, I will hundred percent take this. And from there, it's hard to believe that we have created such a large category. I mean, we have, you know, ClearCo has deployed more than $3.2 billion into 7,000 different founders, um, you know, now in, uh, in many, many countries around the world. So it's been this, this crazy journey, but that was the original story was starting there. Uh, That's a lot of money. And last year (laughs) happened to be a particularly big year for your business, raising upwards of 650 million. And um, I'm curious if you could just talk us through the process of how that works, and um, how did you go about doing that? Uh, you do a lot of meetings and you get a lot of notes. That's the short answer of it. And this is why you know we've really built ClearCo to fix some of that process. I mean, when you go raise money, you do nothing but raise money for three, four months. And even if you're really good, you need to do a hundred meetings to get you know, 40, 50 people kind of interested to start looking at, you know, 20 serious people to then look at, you know, a couple of term sheets to get a competitive deal. And so that is an extremely time intensive process, first thing. And the second part about that is not only is it time intensive, but it's full of biases because basically venture capital is based on who you know. So it's like meeting people when, you know, people um, have seen you before they have a, they have a better sense of you and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a human to human industry. So that means that it doesn't always scale in all the places that we want it to. And so one of the things about our model and the way that we give founders capital is that we just look at their data to see how their business is performing. We don't care who you were or where you went to school or, you know, what gender you are. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so as a result of that, we've seen very different results in our portfolio. I mean, our portfolio is now 25 times more women than the venture capital industry average, which is crazy to me. A third of our founders are BIPOC. We have a ton of geographic diversity. Like in the U.S., for example, you know, 80% of venture capital goes into four states in America. 
And we've uh, backed a founder in every state in America. There was nine states last year that had no founders that got VC backing. And so you can see that it's just a limited scale industry. And so it is doable. I mean, I say if we could have raised Clearco money for Clearco, we would have done that. It's just, you know, we're building the category. So it does exist in the future. What happens now? What's the plan or the objective in 2022 now you've raised all that capital? You know, there's a couple, you know, core goals for us. It's to expand um, our core business, to grow internationally. So that's been a big part. And then continue to develop new innovative products. I mean, we wake up every day thinking that founders do not say, I can't wake up today to do my bookkeeping, to do my accounting, to raise money, to basically do financial services. And so as a result of that, you know, we just keep building products to make life a lot easier for founders and make it easier to help founders win. And so there's just a ton that's going on there. One of the products we recently announced is our marketplace called ClearX that's full of vetted buyers and sellers. So if you're an e-commerce brand and you've taken capital and joined our portfolio, you can join this network. And we did it because all the buyers, e-commerce companies have come to us, right? Whether they're the, the Thrasio rollups or the CPG companies. And so we've actually matched 12 of our portfolio companies with buyers and have had full exits along the way. So it's just a great benefit to being a part of our portfolio. So when you have that much success raising that level of capital and growing these businesses and things seemingly keep growing, how do you handle the pressure of continuing to build that momentum and to continue to bring that growth to the table? Kind of manage what part? The growth versus? Just maintaining the growth in general because it's oh, yeah. a pretty consistent rocket ship. I mean, you got to work really hard. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a, It is really hard to build a startup. It is really hard to scale a startup. And there is constantly new challenges every single week. So yeah, you put yourself in front of a plan. You're like, okay, hey, how are we going to double this year? And, and when you first see the numbers, it seems like absolutely impossible. And then you think about, okay, how do I build this from the ground up? What do I end up doing to be able to do that? Incredible. I have to really commend you on what you've built so far. And, and getting rid of those biases in raising money is, is something that the tech ecosystem has badly needed. So it's incredible that you guys are doing that. If we, if we look about your tenure in the tech ecosystem, you've seen a lot of change in Canada specifically. Yeah. What would you say those changes are, or how would you evaluate them over the last decade or so? I mean, when I started over a decade ago, like there was no capital available. There was a couple of small stage funds. There was a couple of small companies. Like today, there's a handful of unicorns. There's a handful of incredible talent. Talent has become much easier to acquire because now so many of us can acquire talent remotely. And so we don't need people to change their destinations. They can fly into Toronto or into you know a major Canadian city versus having to move there. And so it's just been an exciting ride. I mean, to watch our vintage and the, you know, Wealth Simples and, you know, Hoppers and Saunders, like there's been a bunch of really great companies that have come uh, out of Canada. So proud to kind of be part of that batch. And you've talked about being involved in business, obviously, Ireland, Canada, US, you mentioned Israel, and just you're going global all over the place. What types of trends are you noticing from one country to the next? Or is there anything that you're seeing in certain parts of the world that are of particular interest? Yeah, I think generally we've seen e-commerce have an enormous surge globally. I, you know, people are like, well, why did this accelerate so much? I'm like, well, because it's people like our mothers who were like, I don't want to buy my groceries online. And then COVID comes and they, you know, she says her blueberries are going to be crushed when they come from the internet. And then they came and they weren't crushed. And so she was happy. And that actually changed a lot of long-term behavior in terms of both categories that opened up in e-commerce. This is food. This is big bulky items like furniture. This is, you know, things like color cosmetics that we just hadn't made penetration on in many, many years. And then many of those patterns sustained 
And so we've actually seen that in all of our jurisdictions is this continuous rise of, you know, e-commerce continuing to grow. And then for us, it's just about founding these incredible founders in local markets. I mean, one of our companies in the Netherlands is, you know, he was a Moroccan immigrant, four children, and was like, there's a better way to run one of these sneaker place market models. And so he has grown like tremendously, uh, his, his company calls restocks with our capital. I mean, I'm talking like a hundred X growth in the last couple of years. So there's been some really incredible stories that we've seen uh, across Europe. And do you notice any difference in the mentality or the approach of founders in some countries versus others? Or do you feel like there's commonalities amongst people that are starting businesses? No, we think there's more commonalities than differences, right? We think, and we also don't think that should be how we make our decision to invest. We think that every founder's, you know, journey is different. And, you know, if you have good unit economics and good growth, you should be able to get capital to fund that growth. And whether you have a personality type of, you know, an absolute bull uh, or, or, you know, you're more meek, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. There's lots of ways to build a business. You're obviously connected with, with thousands of founders around the world now. And, and as we've touched yeah. on, being a founder multiple times, it's probably something that's come up again and again, but what advice do you pass on to founders? What, what advice have, through your own experience or through what you've seen in the ecosystem, what would you generally pass on to them? You know, I think the first thing, if you want to be a founder, is to start now. I get so many people that are thinking about starting an idea that are, you know, spending a lot of time and you just have to jump in. It's like cold water. When you jump into that pool, it's always cold. You just got to go in and you'll get treaded water. And that's what starts the cycle of, you know, iteration. And it's lots of iterations that lead to an to a big innovation. I think most people are incorrect. They think that you can have one big idea and that's what changes the world. I have never actually seen that. I've always seen little ideas be iterated on and that's how you get to a big idea. I mean, Uber at the beginning of the day was an auto dialer to a black car company and then they figured out pieces, but we focus in the media around like the idea where it's never really the idea. It's get started, see what customers like and keep iterating on that. And how about on the other side of that, when a founder should, a lot of the time they're looking for the exit route. Mm -hmm. What advice do you give to founders when they're looking to sell or, or when is the right time to sell a company? It's a totally personal decision. It's like asking someone when they're ready to have children or not. Like it's about how much energy you have. It's about the scale you think that this specific thing can get to. It's about the size of the buyers. It's about who's in the market. It's how fast your market's growing. Like, I think it's so personal. I also think when you're earlier stage and you have less money, it's, you know, tempting and it's actually not bad to do an earlier exit. I did an early exit early in my career and that gave me the backbone and the ambition to do something bigger after. And so I think it's just such a personal decision. Mm -hmm. And just uh, obviously with Collision being here in Toronto, Toronto's really developed into quite a tech hub and yeah. we're seeing a lot of big tech companies that are hiring aggressively within the I know here. It's pretty wild. And mm -hmm. it also poses challenges for local domestic companies who are now maybe competing for talent with some of those larger players and maybe don't have the same resources. Do you have any tips or advice for businesses that are in Toronto or in Canada um, that are finding themselves competing with much bigger companies in terms of retaining talent or even just acquiring new talent. It's a tough and competitive talent market out there. And, you know, this is like a good date. You just got to sell what you're really good at. And startups have something very different. They are very good at giving you a rocket ship experience that's going to be boom or bust where you're going to learn faster than ever. I mean, when you come work for ClearCo, 
you get five years of work experience in a year and a half. Like you see so many jobs, you see so much pivoting, you see things change on a day-to-day basis. That never happens at a big company. You know, you're barely acquainted with the company 90 days in, you're kind of figuring out how to deliver something a little bit later. Like, honestly, it's, it's just selling what you got. And it's, so it's sharing what your mission and finding the people that are aligned with that. And then reminding people that that's a very different experience than working at one of the largest tech companies in the world, where there's a lot more bureaucracy, there's things go a lot slower and, you know, the impact is just limited. That's really interesting and a great piece of advice. And we're looking forward to more advice and insights from you at Collision mm-hmm. coming up okay. soon enough here. Um, thank I'm going to so be so for- excited. <laughs> yeah, we're really looking forward to it. I know all the people that are coming will be as well. So thank you so much for your time today. And we'll look forward to seeing you at Collision. Amazing. Thank you, guys. You can stay plugged in with Michelle and Clearco at clear.co and at Clearco on social for the latest in digital marketing in the world of tech. Check out theinfluenceagency.com and follow us at Influence Agency. And for everything you need to know about Collision 2022, including tickets, visit collisionconf.com and feel free to use the code COLLISION10 for 10% off your ticket. And thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time.